Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I think we can do better than that. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. There we go. Please be seated. When I was growing up, uh, my dad, who's a pastor, would always do that. Every Easter morning, probably will today at his church out in Oregon. His joy every Easter morning was so electric, so exuberant, that the congregation's first response to that great Easter proclamation never seemed to be quite enthusiastic enough for him. On Easter morning, my dad would temporarily transform into a cheerleader of sorts, leading the congregation in shouts of joy that Jesus, our Savior, has risen from the dead. And for good reason. Today isn't the day that we celebrate our favorite sports team winning a championship. It's not a day we've set aside to commemorate a great military victory of our country. In fact, those things seem trivial compared to what we're really here for today. Today is the day that Jesus Christ, our creator, and the Lord of the universe burst the bonds of death triumphed over the grave and put an end to the greatest enemy in human history, death itself. And so while I've never really been one to appreciate the whole, I can't hear you sort of thing, if there's a day to do that, Easter is that day. But while I've come to treasure and even emulate my dad's Easter enthusiasm, I didn't necessarily always see it that way, particularly as I lay in sleep-strong bands Easter morning, because my dad didn't wait until he got to church to shout, Christ is risen, no. (laughs) For us kids, this exultant call would serve as our alarm clock very early in the morning. And I remember more than once I responded with what I felt to be the appropriate liturgical response in that moment. Yes, he is. Now let me sleep. (laughs) The whole thing calls to mind one of Solomon's Proverbs. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor, or in this case his family, early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now I'm not much of a morning person myself, and though I did always love going to our Easter sunrise services, That wake-up call, along with having to burst the bonds of my warm bed and wipe the sleep from my eyes, was always a challenge. Now be honest, if you would, how many of you are here at this service instead of at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock thanks mostly to an over-enthusiastic husband or wife or mom or dad? Okay, a few of you are brave enough. I saw one hand go up and when when the wife turned to look, it went down very quickly. (laughs) It may be a bit difficult, perhaps even a bit annoying, to have to be up so early for church, though you can be thankful that it's now at seven instead of six like it used to be. And of course, there is no more joyful reason to get up than to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And today I wouldn't trade my dad's Easter morning alarm clock greeting for anything. But when the women woke up that Sunday morning long ago and went to the tomb, It was not for a joyful reason. Matthew tells us that the women went to the tomb at dawn, a time that Luke describes as very early in the morning. And as they wended their way to the tomb, wiping the sleep from their eyes, 
They expected to mourn, to anoint the body of their Lord with spices, perhaps to pay their last respects as the sun slowly made its way into the sky. Just two days before, they had seen the sun go down on all of their hopes for Israel and for themselves. The sun had literally refused to shine for a few hours that day and only showed itself again when the Son of God had breathed his last. There had been two sunsets since and lots of pain, sorrow, and mourning along with them. Think about, if you would for a moment, the most beautiful sunset you have ever seen. They can be pretty incredible. But how often do we not even pay attention to the setting sun in our daily life? After all, it happens every day. We've seen it thousands of times. But now put yourself in Adam's shoes. The first human being on the first day of his life, the day that God had created him. What went through his mind when the source of his warmth and light was slowly swallowed by the western horizon? A few poetic lines from a blog post I happened upon a month or so ago sum it up well. For hours few he'd loved its light, had basked in its embrace. Then soon, too soon, befell the night when darkness veiled his face. I didn't know this until I read this blog post I mentioned, but apparently there is an old Jewish tradition that Adam, during the first night ever experienced by a human being, was overwhelmed with fear and sorrow because he thought the sun was lost forever. Now I tend to think personally that God was there to comfort him, to tell him that all would be well, but it still must have been for Adam a devastating feeling of great loss. But imagine Adam's joy that next morning when the newly created birds started chirping. The day peeled away the night and the sunlight enveloped him once again. I shared all of this last month at a funeral service for one of our congregation's recently departed saints. Because I find it incredibly comforting to remember that there was once another sun that set and then rose again. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the bright blazing sun that enlightened all of creation, gave up his life. And as he hung on that cross for us, as darkness filled the skies over Jerusalem, the one that scripture calls our bright morning star, our sun, set. The son of God died, his light extinguished. And his followers were filled with fear and with sorrow. Like Adam, they wept through the night because they thought the light of the world had forever gone away. On Saturday, how the disciples must have despaired as they huddled behind locked doors. How the women must have mourned bitterly, holding each other tight in sorrow. But then there was evening and there was morning the third day. And the sleepy women who went to the tomb were in for quite an awakening. Bright and very early in the morning on that first Easter Sunday, they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. The sun had risen, never to set again. Awake, my heart, with gladness. See what today has done. Now, after gloom and sadness, comes forth the glorious sun. 
Jesus has risen from the dead and this risen son has promised to come back for us, to call each one of us by name and to raise us from the dead so that we may live with him and with the father and the spirit forever in his restored and recreated world. I have a picture I'd like to show you now and as that's put up on the screen, I'd like to ask you this. Are you looking at a sunrise or a sunset? If you were there when this picture was taken or if you knew if we were looking east or west, you'd know right away. But since you weren't and since you don't, you probably have no idea. In fact, according to two atmospheric physicists, and I have to be honest, I just wanted to say atmospheric physicist in a sermon. <laughs> David Lynch and William Livingston are their names. They've studied such things. They say that uh, all so-called twilight phenomena are symmetric on opposite sides of midnight. In other words, a sunrise, if seen for just a minute or two, looks no different at all from a sunset. So this picture could be either one. And no scientific method exists that could help us determine which it is. However, when we view the real thing, not just a picture, there are some factors that affect our perception of it. Lynch and Livingston write, at sunset, our eyes are daylight adapted and may even be a bit weary from the day's toil. As the light fades, we cannot adapt as fast as the sky darkens. Some hues may be lost or perceived in a manner peculiar to sunset. At sunrise, however, the night's darkness has left us with very acute night vision and every faint minor change in the sky's color is evident. For this reason, though they technically look exactly the same, our perspective and the state of our eyes determine how clearly we can see and understand what we're looking at. By the way, in case you were wondering, this is a picture of a sunrise for the sunrise service. Now, if you would, I direct your attention to the painting of Christ up all the way above the altar there. And I'd like to ask you, what are we looking at here? What is Jesus doing? Is he ascending on the clouds into heaven? Or is he returning on the clouds to earth in glory? Now, if you know the history of the painting, perhaps you know the answer to this question. Just as you know, you're looking at a sunset if you've been up all day long. But scripture tells us that when Jesus returns, he will come back exactly the way he went up into heaven on the clouds. And his return is just as certain as the sun rising again tomorrow morning. Well, perhaps even more certain, since Jesus might just decide to come back today. So what's the point of all of this? The point is this. As Christians, we are called to be mourning people. Now before you get too upset about this, realize that I don't mean that we all have to follow the early to bed, early to rise mantra. What I mean is that Jesus' resurrection has forever affected our eternal perspective and has forever altered the state of our eyes. And so when we look around this world and all we see is darkness and sorrow, we know that it is not a sunset because the sun has risen from the dead. And so we shout with the psalmist, awake my soul, awake harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. 
We perk up our ears to the prophet's call when he cries out, Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. We glory in the joyous Christmas and Easter news from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. And so we celebrate But we are not just mourning people in terms of celebration. We are also mourning people in terms of preparation. With our fixed eyes, we know that the resurrected Son of God, who rose up from the tomb and into the clouds, will come back down on those clouds. We may have fallen asleep with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, but now Jesus is forever alive, and so we watch and we wait for him. Our souls wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so we wait with expectant hearts for him to return and bring his harvest home. As St. Peter writes, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star, Jesus Christ himself rises in your hearts. He's risen from the bed of death. He's risen from the dead. His breath is back. He breathes it into you. Death's sighs no longer can subdue his people. We are not dead, we are awake. For Jesus rose who came to make us whole again, alive again, to raise us from the death of sin forever. He silenced all sin's lullabies, the sleep of death wiped from our eyes. Like scales that fell, destroyed at last, death's shadow has forever passed us over. The victim has redeemed the crime, has crushed the hill of death he climbed. The tomb is empty. Jesus lives, forgives, and with pierced hands, he gives free pardon. Arise, O people of the day. The darkness will not have its way with us. With eyes wide open, we go forth into eternity with Jesus. Night's flown away into the skies where Jesus stands with flaming eyes upon the clouds. Our living Lord comes to the world which he restored to glory. And so let us profess his name with living, morning voice proclaim with all our thoughts and words and deeds. Christ is risen. Alleluia. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the peace of God which transcends our understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in and through Christ Jesus, our risen Lord, now and forever. Amen.